Welcome to the Make Disciples podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We are continuing our series. Uh, my name is David McNeely, joined again with uh, Dan Rober, our local church uh, historian extraordinaire. And we're continuing the series, Church History to Help. And by the way, a little birdie told me that this episode right here is our 50th episode. We didn't get balloons, though. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't we have like music and uh, the streamers and... Confetti? Yeah, yeah, somewhere. Oh, well. All right. So uh, episode 50, yay. Excited about that. Uh, Want to talk more about how the church got to be the way it is uh, today. So last time we were together, we started talking about the major divisions within Christianity, Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant. Today, let's turn our attention specifically to Protestantism. So while there are some variations within Catholicism and Orthodox churches, um, they're frequently divided by country. There are a lot of different groups that we collectively call the Protestant church. So what are they? Where they come from? That's our focus today. So let me start by getting you to go back to the origins, which is where we left off last time. Can you pick that up? Yeah. So the big guy that we talk about is Martin Luther. And like we started talking about last time, we said that Martin Luther sees issues within the Catholic Church and he wants to call them out. And so he wasn't the first person to do this, but he was the most, well, let's just say successful person at doing this. And so he is uh, an educated individual. He's a monk, but he's also a uh, professor. And in his own study, he comes to see some strong disagreements between what he is studying and what the Catholic Church is teaching. And so he develops uh, some talking points. He wants the church to change because he sees problems. And he has a total of 95 theses or talking points. And as the story goes, uh, he takes these talking points, these theses, and he nails them to the community bulletin board of the area at the time. He was in Wittenberg, Germany, and that community bulletin board would have been the door of the church and says, we need to discuss these things. Well, it takes off. And the primary reason it takes off, at least one of them, is this invention called the printing press, where his ideas can be transmitted all over the place. And that does not go over particularly well with uh, the Catholic Church leadership. Number of issues, we can't talk about 95 of them, obviously, but especially the church's practice of selling indulgences, which are essentially get out of hell free tickets or escape purgatory tickets. And why were they doing this? Well, they were trying to raise money so that they could build their cathedrals. Cathedrals cost a ton of money at this time. And this doesn't go over with the leadership. And he is eventually called in front of a, a group of church leaders, what is known as the Diet of Worms, in 1521. And he's uh, excommunicated, kicked out of the Catholic Church. Now, for most people, that would mean that he would be killed at this point, but he had some friends in high places that uh, would protect him. And uh, this starts a new movement, a protest movement that becomes known as Lutheranism, which emphasizes scripture and services being done in the language that people would be familiar with instead of in Latin, which was common for the Catholic Church. But foundationally, this idea of the priesthood of all believers, the authority of Scripture with the guidance of the Holy Spirit is foundational for helping Christians live out their Christian lives. 
So just something that I want to underscore as you're saying that Luther, again, really tried to do this internally first. Yes. So it's not like he said, I don't like what's going on. I don't like, as we said last episode, the color of the carpet. So I'm going to go start my own thing. He really tried to go from within. And when they couldn't, just as Paul and Barnabas had to split, he said, we got to split. So I, I want to work this through. I think that's important to, uh, to hear. But they're not the only ones. Right? So it's not just Lutheranism that gets going um, at this point. There's other groups. What, what are the other groups that get formed? Yeah. So others had uh, thoughts that came about at roughly the same time. Our, uh, I don't know if we can call him our patron saint or uh, whatever, but uh, <laughs> John Calvin Amen. lived at about the same time here. And he was protected from some of the political back and forth that Luther was dealing with. But he developed his own understanding of Christianity. And we can read about it probably best through his Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's a fascinating book. It started off as a really short book that he edited and updated and enlarged over the course of his life and became uh, from like 20 to like 80 volumes. It was a massive growth in uh, his thing there. And his legacy comes through uh, the Puritans, the groups of churches collectively known as Reformed, including, well, us, Presbyterian churches and our own denomination. So we see Calvin working at this time. Another major group that starts in the 16th century would be Anglicanism, which had less to do with doctrine and a lot more to do with politics. So at this time, King Henry VIII wanted his marriage annulled because he wanted an heir and his then current wife was not giving him one. The Pope, for political reasons, as well as uh, they just didn't do that, would not grant it. So King Henry VIII said, I'm out. In the Act of Supremacy in 1534, he started the Church of England, which proclaimed the king and his successors the only supreme head in earth of the Church of England. Now, practically speaking, because of this division, there's actually a lot of similarities between Catholicism and Anglicanism. Some people point to Anglicanism as a middle way between Catholicism and other Protestant groups, but it's also distinctively English at the same time. And then there's another group that exists as uh, the kind of oddballs of the movement, uh, known as the Radical Reformation. And their argument is this Protestant movement is good, but it's not going far enough. There needed to be a larger change in the connection between church and state. Uh, and groups known as Anabaptists or rebaptizers argued that believers were to be baptized, not babies. So rebaptizers saying you should be baptized as a believer or as an adult, which was revolutionary and was akin to essentially tearing up your birth certificate. Because at this point in time, your baptism in the church would create the record that would be used for society as a whole. And so it was, uh, well, radical for the time. But in general, we see these things happening because there was less and less of a centralizing authority, people who could actually keep everything under control. And so many different groups began to start. You know, I'm struck here as you're talking. I'm struck once again with uh, Luther was by no means a man without flaw. Calvin was by no means a man without flaw. You go down the list and all these guys and even some of these things, again, Anglican Church getting started um, for really some not so great reasons. But I'm just, I'm once again struck with God's ability to redeem things, for him to bring good out of what man may have even intended, not necessarily for evil, but intended for maybe their own benefit, not necessarily for God. Man, God just does great stuff. Makes us feel a little better, right? God <laughs> using fallen people for his purposes. <laughs> That's yeah. right. 
All right. So obviously, uh, we think John Calvin is the closest thing to uh, being sinless in this list. Um, the Presbyterian Church, he and John Knox um, bring that about. But listen, I say it tongue in cheek, but we don't believe that we're the only legitimate denomination. There's even more uh, groups that get started in the centuries that follow. Uh, why did they come about? Yeah. So broadly speaking, we're seeing the emergence of a more decentralized and religiously unregulated environment. And that's especially here in the United States. It happens other places as well, but in an environment where one official religion is not being pushed, people have the opportunity to found new varieties of Christianity and try out different things. Uh, one example in the UK would be uh, John Wesley and his brother Charles and the holiness movement that begins where they are methodical, hint, hint, in their way of following Jesus and growing in their faith. They are come to be derisively known as Methodist and the name sticks. And so we see the Methodist movement uh, grow from its origins in the UK. Here in the United States, uh, there's a number of African-American denominations uh, that begin to found after a lot of African-Americans aren't allowed in white churches. And it's uh, to their shame that that had to happen in the first place. Uh, Baptist, uh, we live here in Tallahassee, so we have a lot of Southern Baptist here. And this is an outgrowth of the independent free church movement uh, that's going on. But probably the most important one that we should at least note here is in the 20th century, we see the growth of Pentecostalism. And we can't downplay that because that has grown from a movement of essentially zero people at the beginning of the 20th century to worldwide having about 600 million people uh, participating in it today. And Pentecostals are simply people who are saying, we need to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing more. And so they also believe in what we refer to as sign gifts, uh, gifts like healing and tongues believe that there's a more active role of the Holy Spirit than uh, was commonly uh, thought at that time. And so it's much more involved and it brings a lot more charismatic worship and actions into services as well. And while we may not always agree with every point of theology in there, I do think it's worth noting that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because you'd know this better than I would, this is by far the movement that is seeing the most amount of people make a transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where we're seeing the most professions of faith, people submitting their lives over the Lordship of Christ. It's come through Pentecostal churches more than any other. Especially in Africa. Yeah. yeah, that's what we're seeing all throughout the 20th century. Africa has seen this radical transformation so that the southern half, sub-Saharan Africa, has become dominated by Christians. Uh, and it's primarily of a more Pentecostal variety. Yeah. And man, for that, we can praise God. Yeah. Amen. Just a couple of more things here. So, Dan, really, what should we take now from these divisions? How can we learn from these divisions? So many of these divisions that we see do have these clear disagreements, and there's a number of reasons for them. Things like particulars in doctrine or perhaps church polity, how you organize it. I mean, we get along with, say, a uh, Reformed Baptist church, for example, but how we view our church leadership is going to be different than how they do it. But, and here's the important part, we also see a lot of commonality with many of these groups. This is where the term evangelical comes in. Evangelicalism at its best is this trans-denominational movement that emphasizes the gospel above our divisions. So it allows us to be 
faithful to our specifics of belief, we can go to our churches, but we're also going to celebrate the movement of God as something more than just in our church. It's why on Sunday mornings we pray for churches outside our own denomination. We recognize that God is doing things in churches outside our denomination. And this is a much longer conversation, but we can see this common ground between Christian groups for things like conferences that we attend together or publishing houses. And so we use a lot of stuff from, say, Lifeway example, the Southern Baptist Publishing House, or even Christian radio stations, finding that common ground with a number of different uh, groups, even though we don't agree on everything. Yeah. So again, what are the essentials um, that we hold firm to? And we say, it's okay to divide over the essentials. And then there's other things we say, if we're divided, um, there are things that we don't want to keep us from having um, deep, abiding, genuine Christian fellowship with one another. We can have disagreements over small things and still go arm in arm. So that's great. Hey, one more division to talk about. Uh, we don't have time to do it today. We'll do it uh, the next time. But I look forward to that. And so thanks for being here and uh, helping us see this. Thanks for joining us for the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Please join us again for our next episode of Make Disciples.